in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today, my good friend from right here in the steel city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Chad Robinson. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. And coming to you from the Lilac City of Spokane, Washington, Mr. Brian Fry. How are you doing, sir? We're more like a UNC blue right now, but yeah, we're good. There are so many great movies in the theaters. What movie are you most looking to coming to you this year? Scream 6. I was a little let down by Scream 5, but Hayden Panettiere is back. I am excited to see what they do without Nev Campbell. So really looking forward to that one. And Brian, how about you? Gosh, there's several. I I really want this next Daredevil movie. Not Daredevil, I'm sorry, Deadpool movie. I also want to watch Joker. I'm excited about Joker. So uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm game. I'm game. So I, I don't know. It's it's two risky picks. I'm not going to go way out there on a limb and go with Indiana Jones. So, yeah, I would say one of those two. I'll tell you what, if I'm going to be really, really safe and for something I'm hands down going to watch, I'm going to go with Oppenheimer. All right. And for me, the movie I'm probably looking most forward to is The Flash because Michael Keaton, he is Batman and he's back. But then they're all gone. They're all gone after this. And like, skull. Maybe. If they do a good enough job, you know. Flash, I mean, the Henry Flash, Cavill's gone. Robert Pattinson's I don't know. I see conflicting reports. He's gone. He's not gone. He's back. He's not back. I mean, Godot might be back. She's not guaranteed to not be back. I mean, it's a mess. We'll figure it out. So, uh, it's always a mess with DC. It is indeed. And what is the last movie you saw? Chat. You'll enjoy this. I saw a Jennifer Lopez rom-com, Russell. We watched Shotgun Wedding, which is the new Netflix Josh Duhamel, Jennifer Lopez flick. Honestly, it's not as painful as it potentially sounds. It, it was kind of fun. So they definitely throw guys a bone about a quarter of the way into the movie. So. Mm, I'll be sure to miss that one. Yep. Uh, yeah. I know about you, Brian. <laughs> What about what you saw? I I had to go sort of back in the past a bit, uh, but I rewatched Super Troopers too. Nice. Um, I uh, no, it was it was a Brian Cox moment, and I was like, you know what? I haven't watched Super Troopers two nearly as much as the first one, so I went back and rewatched uh, Super Troopers two. Uncle Argyle, nice. still one of the best quotes that no one in the theater got at the time. <laughs> and. I think I've used this before, but it, it, it's a popular one in our house, The Land Before Time. is my last one that I watched with Grant. I thought you were going to say Top Gun. That's like every guest, Top oh. Gun. No, no, I haven't. Banana. I haven't gotten to Top yeah, Gun. Yeah, Russell, have you watched Top Gun recently? No. 
No, I, I'll get to I'll get to Maverick someday. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Brian, what happens first? Shotgun wedding with Jennifer Lopez or Top Gun Maverick? I I would hope Top Gun Maverick. I mean, just <laughs> just just for his soul. But Maverick, I, don't worry about it. I, I am a little. All right. Well, I I'm getting tired of waving the flag. If you haven't seen Top Gun Maverick by now, that's that's on you. <laughs> like. It, it, the entire world unanimously said this movie is amazing. It saved the box office and movie theaters for the whole year. Uh, we will continue to have movies thanks to that. So I appreciate that for sure. So. <laughs> now, what movie are we going to be covering today? Chad. We have 1966's The Russians Are Coming. The Russians Are Coming? The twice. Russians Are Coming. Yeah, twice. Right. Yeah. You can't say it out loud around here. They actually believe it. And if you say it three times, they actually appear. So, five times if it's a mirror. Mm. Starring in this movie, we have Carl Reiner, Eva Marie Saint, Alan Arkin, Brian Keith, Jonathan Winters, Theodore Bickle, Tessie O'Shea, Ben Blue, John Philip, and Paul Ford. We got an amazing list of people here. It's a big ensemble cast. This is $3.9 million to make. It grosses $21.7 million, places its seventh on the box office, coming in behind Lieutenant Robin Caruso, USN, coming ahead of Grand Prix. And the number one movie of 1966 was The Bible. So if you thought The Bible was older than that, then turns out it came in out in 1966. It's a tough one to beat. Yeah, popular. I mean, number one bestseller. So yeah, why not turn it into a movie? They're, they're still publishing them to this day. So some of them came out in 2023. And it remains the most stolen thing from Barnes & Noble. Yep. <laughs> I mean, can't get too mad if someone steals less like, ah, well, I mean, it's kind of a can't throw you in jail for that. So we got to let that one go, I guess. I don't know. Don't people hand them out for free, though? Yes, they're called Gideons. Yeah. Yeah, little handy dandy little miniature ones. I wanted to do the history of the world part two. Uh, Jesus. Yes. yes. <laughs> Jesus. IMDb gives the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming a 7.0. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes like it even more. They give it an 86 percent. The audience score is a 75 percent. Does not actually win any Academy Awards here in our Academy Awards season. However, it is nominated for four. It is nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Alan Arkin, Best Screenplay on a material from another medium, Best Film Editing. It is a two-time Golden Globe winner, though. It takes Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, and Best Actor in a Motion Picture for Alan Arkin for a Musical or Comedy. It's a three-time Golden Globes nominee, also for Best Screenplay. Uh, most Promising Newcomer, Male, Alan Arkin. Most Promising Newcomer, John Philip Law. And it is a two-time BAFTA nominee for the United Nations Award and the most promising newcomer of leading in film roles. Two-time Laurel Awards winner for top comedy, a top male performer, and Alan Arkin. So Alan Arkin's getting a lot of appreciation from this one. And the Director's Guild of America Awards nominee to Norman Jewison. It is nominated for the top 100 laughs list by the AFI. It does not make it. Brian, had you seen The Russians Are Coming? The Russians Are Coming before. Uh, negative. I had not seen this movie before. This is, uh, this is a classic example of John Flack trying to culture me. And how'd it go for you? Mixed. I have a rough time with this kind of comedy. I think that he would be smirking at me right now if and when he listens to this. Uh, it's just, it, it's, it's not my bag. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you feel like maybe it's not holding up for you as well as it might have at the time. 
it well i i can't speak to what 1966 me would have been like but uh it's it's very possible that the humor would have hit had i marinated in that time frame but uh yeah i just it, it, i don't know see okay. i called this russell's like there's hope there's a submarine in this i did movie. say that there's a submarine <laughs> brian loves his submarine movies and that's all he needs is a... i will say this that i turned right around and watched crimson tide after this of course just for comfort <laughs> and uh all right and chad had you seen the russians are coming the russians are coming i had not so i was kind of expecting a 12 chairs type comedy movie i knew it was pretty well lauded for for being a 60s comedy i what i got was probably more akin to like a sitcom i had an offline discussion with russell i said this was like watching a two-hour episode of mash that's not a bad thing uh it's just but it's not something you pull out of your pocket like oh i'm gonna watch a bunch of mash today uh, it yeah. is on the afi greatest movies list mash so it's true so I had not seen this one either, so I was excited to do this one. And I have to admit, my expectations were exceeded. I had a lot of fun with this one. And once you start to put it into the context of its time, you start to appreciate it even more. So some really fun acting performances here. And I got to say, when the movie is, yes, you got the goofy funniness, but when you also get the feels, which this movie does well, you really have a high potential, high ceiling for me. And so this movie made me laugh and it made me feel good. And those are some of the reasons I watch movies. So uh, I loved it. We're going to get into it today. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. There are Russians coming. I'll tell you that much. But anything beyond that, there will be spoilers that lie ahead after this. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, we're back. And this is your final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. So, Chad, for those who haven't seen The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, since 1966, do you want to refresh people's memories? A Soviet sub during the height of the Cold War runs aground in the fictional New England town of Gloucester Island. The captain sends nine of his sailors into town to look for resources to free the stranded sub. Obviously, they don't blend in, and the town plays out kind of like a telephone game, surmising first that the Russians parachuted in, then that they've probably captured the airfield, and finally that there's a full-on invasion. A militia forms to pursue the terrified Russians. However, the malice between the town and the sailors is put aside when a child falls out of a bell tower and is dangling by his belt high above the ground. Both Russians and New Englanders band together to save the little boy. Feeling a new affinity for the misunderstood Russians, the town agrees to help escort them back to safety, going so far as to protect them from the U.S. Air Force who had just arrived to help out. 
The town drunk concludes the film by finally mounting his horse and riding Paul Revere style through the town, exclaiming, The Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. However, by the time he'd sobered up enough to safely ride, the Russians were long gone. Uh, it sounds like me delivering news to people. By the time I tell you, it's already over. So I'm usually one of the last to find out. So now here we have the Russians right at the beginning of the movie. We don't spend a lot of time with them. There's no subtitles. We no. don't really understand everything they're doing. We later find out that they're just going against orders. They just want to take a peek at America. It's ironically just curiosity that lands them here. And then they end up hitting a sandbar and then they get they, they're grounded. Their submarine's grounded and they're stuck. So they all come on to land. Brian, when you're first watching this movie and they're coming up onto, into this family's home, I wasn't sure what to expect. What were your thoughts? Are you like, were you tense at all? Or were you just like, no, the, the, I know we're in for comedy and this is, I'm not, I'm not sensing any danger. Anytime there's a Russian submarine in a comedy movie, it's going to, well, actually, anytime there's a Russian submarine in a movie, some stuff's going to go wrong. So yeah, it's pretty much a given. I wasn't sure the tone of everything that we were getting into. I knew it had been nominated for all these awards and stuff, so I wasn't sure how funny it was going to be. And I had to admit, I was kind of I'm still not sure how funny it was. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> that was funny. But it helped immediately to meet the Whitaker family. That helped write the tone of the movie. But I was worried as they were approaching this kid and this family and their house. I was like, uh-oh. They do end up pulling them at gunpoint. I'm pretty... It is kind of tense for a while. Chad, do you feel it was all fun and games for you? I mean, the obnoxious kid. You you get a pretty good indication right away when the obnoxious, precocious little kid keeps correcting him. Like, there are Russians outside with Tommy guns. Like, oh, you silly little boy. And of course the kid's right because this is 60s comedy. But no, I... I was not concerned for the family's safety at all, although it would have been much funnier had they just straight up shot the little kid. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was very pro shooting the little boy. I'm going to come to this. <laughs> the I, was, I was so pro shooting that kid. Well, I'm, I'm going to come back the other direction. I think this is a very good kid acting performance. Sheldon Collins as Pete Whitaker is hilarious. I mean, he is so animated. I just think he's... Coming in, Chad said it. They're coming up with machine guns, and like it's just so audastic. Parents don't believe him, and then he comes back again. He's like, "There's nine of them, and they're coming up." He's like, "Just go play tennis." I love, I love the notion of a parent dismissing their child over such things so ridiculous, and then it's true. And he's like, "You know everything." I love that this kid, even before his teenage years, has this really, I guess, strong way to egg his dad on. I just find that their dynamic is very funny. I mean, I have a six-year-old, and she doesn't mean to, but she lies constantly. And she will tell me things that absolutely did not happen, and she believes them to be so. So, yeah, I'm in the dad's shoes of, sure, sure, nine Russians with Tommy guns, whatever. Go go away. Go, go read a book. But Pete's also goading his dad on, as, as they're holding up gunpoint, he calls him a, a traitor. His mother then says, traitor. And then, yeah. and then he's like, I bet I'm the only kid in the fourth grade with my dad who's a famous trainer. <laughs> and Which just, is ridiculous. He tries to call him in that situation. Kid. Yeah. Like, obey I the love men it. with guns. What's funny is that it actually affects the dad. You know, you're not, you're not just saying like, no, no, shut up, kid. We're, we're, we're going to be okay here. He, he's like, did you hear what he said about me? Like, it really bothers him. Like, what, what his son's view of him is enough to make him 
jump on top of a Russian guard. And I thought it was very funny with his wife sitting there going. Like, Which is why the kid really needed to be shot in the face. Like <laughs> in the face, between the eyes, not there anymore. I love the out reality. Of existence. I love the reality check from his wife, too. when she goes, uh, he's younger than you. He's taller than you. Stronger than you. Bigger than you. And he has a gun. Yeah, but he's scared as I am. So, like, this adds up fine. I just find that this whole dynamic of the family coming in, this is, this is a, it's starting off in a really funny manner. But I also got to say, it's one of those things where without this meeting the family, if you just go straight into the town and there's this mass hysteria, you may not understand where the Russians are kind of coming from. They're scared too. And that they don't really mean any harm. You see, Alexei's character has to hold the family at gunpoint. He's uncomfortable doing it. This isn't what he signed up for. He wants to be in a submarine firing missiles and stuff. He'd, holding innocent civilians at gunpoint is clearly not something that he wants to be doing. And because of that, you then see that the fear of them is not due. So all the things that start to spiral out over the next hour, it's really clever writing because... It sets everything else that's up to come, all the madness, the craziness, no matter how big it gets, you know in your heart that it's just a misunderstanding and that makes it a lot funnier. And it's a very good job to not just like land them on the shore and then have everybody flip out. So they, they spend 30 minutes with the Whitaker family and that anchor does so much for the movie. I think of another movie that Steven Spielberg did called 1941. And I don't think that movie is nearly as effective. It's a very global movie. And in that movie, again, we're being invaded and it's satirical. It's funny, but it's very scattered. It's 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 on a larger scale and it has different characters throughout the movie. And we don't have anybody like the Whitakers necessarily grounding us to what's going on. And then similarly, we meet people from both sides. So that's that's right off different. And this is much funnier. This is much better writing, in my opinion. So that's not a knock on Spielberg. It's early in his career. I just think it's the writing that does that. Once it escalates, it goes into the town and the word gets out that the Russians are coming. They've landed. What do we have here for the next hour in the movie here? I mean, I enjoy the hawkishness of the town, uh, particularly Fendel, the old man with his commemorative sword that he's, he's drawn like he... That's his role. He's this blustery old man that's going to go take it to the commies with his sword. And you've got the the military personnel with uh, Maddox. He or he was police chief. Sorry, who's not really buying it at first, and then it's like whatever, crazy old man. I just like a crazy old man with a sword. Like that's what I aspire to. If someone tells me we're being invaded, I hope in my sixties to seventies I will just take one of the many swords I have. And just lead a military operation. Brian, you hear the Russians are coming. What are you doing? I'm shocked they made it this far. <laughs> he won't play I the game. He just, won't play just, the game. Just stunned. They need to send more hot air balloons. No, I'm I'm with Chad. I, I'm with Chad. I, I have several swords also because who doesn't love swords? I actually had a conversation with uh, one of my staff last night during inventory. I don't know what it is about giant robots and giant monsters that just clicks off something in the male gene. But like we got a bunch of Gundam wing stuff in and I've never watched Gundam wing in my entire life. The only reason I know about it is because we carry the toys, but I'm still like, Ooh, giant robot with a sword. So swords, it's part of that. It's inherent. 
so yeah, I'll 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 uh, I'll uh, Wolverines up with uh, with maybe my uh, Rohirrim blade. I think it's interesting what happens to people in a panicky situation. This is the funny side of it. Obviously, Chad, you love the zombie genre, so whenever things go bad, it's showing the ugly side of the people and how they respond to these things. But here it is how silly people are with their they don't act completely rationally. You. It's about completely. It's, it's about paranoia. It's about hysteria, and it's about stupidity and fear, and how people band together and proclaim this guy, this nutbag old veteran, waving a sword around as their leader, and they run around town arguing with the police. And I, it's it's funny to watch these small town police try and talk sense into people, and it's just not working. I wanted an archer moment, though. Like, when they formed that firing line and the guns are by each other's eardrums and one of them went off, I'm sitting there, I've watched too much archer. I'm like, you're going to get tinnitus. I wanted a ma portion there. I'm just like, what did you just do, you idiot? I, I do think it's hilarious they literally formed twos. <laughs> I was like... Did you really just do a revolutionary war firing line? Like, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> like, I like I, I get he's got a saber and everything, so I guess it's like period accurate to the gentleman's weapon. But Jesus, I love it when the sheriff leaves and he leaves a lower-ranking police officer, Jonathan Winters, in charge, and <laughs> and he's trying to corral this this hysteria and it's not working well he tells everybody to go buy guns and they just go storm the gun store and then he's like we gotta get organized they storm the bar like oh here's a good idea let's all get sauced let's make all right so i guess the thing that annoys me the most about this movie and it annoys me about a lot of movies that's why i could never live in like a new york chicago kind of setting i i it drive mob mentality drives me nuts the idea the, the whole pitchforks and torches thing just drives me crazy. I don't know if it's purely just a pet peeve thing or what, but seeing people react as a group negatively just by the fact that they're feeding on each other's fear is, is a testament to nothing's changed in 70 years. So, so going so back and watching not this... not the, the pitchfork and torches groups? No, no. I mean, you, we you know come off something like January sixth, and you watch a movie like this, like, yep, we're still stupid. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for reminding me we're stupid in the sixties. We're stupid now. Keep pointing out that we're stupid. History does repeat itself. So, I love all these little characters in here. I love the wacky mailroom lady. I like how she's called the police too many times. So, in the same way that we don't believe, you know, Pete Whitaker, the little boy at first. We don't believe her either because she's she, she's one to bother the police with flimsy phone calls. And it's so perfect that she's the one who sees them and correctly announces that there are Russians here and they are attacking her. But the police officers just kind of go, eh, they tell the opera, can you just handle this? It's probably not real. Yeah, I, w- I wonder what she had called before i mean was it like the neighbor's dog is barking in the middle of the afternoon like why are they why are they ignoring this phone call 
but it is a they little... said they said that something had happened before and the town drunk was just around there and she had she had made it a much bigger threat than it was was what the operator and he discussed on the phone so i'd be a little concerned if i saw an inebriated man continuously trying to mount a horse like <laughs> i i think they mentioned it at one point as peeping tom yep yeah peeping tom so which is a legit police matter which he wasn't doing though was Agreed. the thing was the whole premise of it. And yeah. I get the gist that he's the friendly town drunk. Allegedly, the trouble. I, I think he's the friendly town drunk, not the, not the troublesome town drunk. Does that make sense? Uh, there's a fine line here. I mean, we've watched a friendly peeping tom together with this exact group, and it ends poorly, right? So, agreed. He's got a pointy little camera instrument right for you. Yes, and I'm assuming you're not talking about Little Nicky where John Lovitz is in the tree trying to uh, act like no. a bird to no. no avail, and then he falls and then goes to hell. No, not no. that one? No. And, no. and then the movie gets worse fast. Uh, this one? No. No, not this one. Little <laughs> Nicky. So it's interesting, too. So it goes big. It goes fast-paced. We've got people running at all over parts of the island. There's disconnections. I think I think watching Whitaker come into town to try and warn people and having he knows more information, but nobody will listen to him. That's also very funny to watch like, hey, it's, they just want to go home. And this message isn't being absorbed. They keep thinking of them being a pair paratroopers, you know, coming down on parachutes. It takes them a while to even understand that it's a submarine that's in, in play here. So I like to watch how in this in this hysteria you know how these facts are not working and even in a moment where the sheriff tells them how many of you guys have actually seen russians <laughs> and, and the old veteran leader is like um well everybody lots of people have seen them how many people here have seen any russians and no none of them had he's like just go home but it doesn't work it doesn't work at all de-escalating a, an angry mob is a tricky thing so we also have at, towards the end of this movie, the tone shifts. So everybody's afraid of everybody. This is a time when we're really afraid of the Soviet presence. And, you know, this is a kind of international bad guy that we have grown up with not really feeling. So it's perhaps a challenge for us to get kind of appreciation for this. But the submarine wants to get out of the marina and they're literally about to open fire on the crowd in desperation to leave. And it's a really tense moment. And the child watching from the rooftop of one of the steeples in town was hanging there by his overalls. And then all of a sudden the soldiers and all the people together work together. They build a human pyramid. They get up there and they go save him. And it's interesting. And Which was also wildly stupid. Just, just like, really? Do you want to go get like, a ladder? Let's, do you, do you let's, let's make a cheerleading pyramid. Like how about going up the steps and going down the same way the kid went? <laughs> like ah oh, th like the the lunacy it's that there the are so many adults acting poorly in this movie drove me insane it worked they didn't fall over like a bunch of bumbling idiots they did the first two tries yeah I, they needed more men they needed well i thought this was a symbolic way of doing it because it was people chipping in together and it didn't matter whether they were russian or whether they were americans and oh no i i understand what it was as a mechanism for the film but what took me out of it is adults behaving poorly that's the whole premise of a comedy in a, in a, or a horror movie you make bad decisions or you make 
decisions that you would never actually make. And that's, that's, you know, if it was realistic, it would be very boring. Chad, did this work better for you in this moment? This rallying point of it doesn't matter what side you're on. We're concerned about the well-being of this small child. No, because I'm kind of going back to didn't get shot in the face, kind of wish he'd fallen completely out of the bell tower. This isn't even that kid. I don't care. I don't care. This kid did nothing wrong to you. He 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 did. Safety rails are there for a reason. It broke. Like, it. I don't care. This just a- just so the audience knows, we Chad and I care for our children way more than we care about movie children. This I I, I feel really really it's necessary to stipulate this, but it's also true that if your kid does dumb things, we're going to judge you for it. So right. I. I love these movie children, so I'm 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 having a hard time with this. I, I think not only was Pete good, but the little girl from the Whitakers, she's great. The little girl was fine. I had no problem with her. Yeah, yeah. she was really cute. She's adorable. I love how her dad is. But she also like, doesn't do anything stupid. Right. Uh, she's cute. actually the most. She's she might actually be the most well-behaved person in this movie. That's an excellent point. Yeah. <laughs> I love. It she you. actually may have been the best part of this film. That little girl is the best part of this film. MVP. There you go. I'm calling it early. Sorry, Carl Reiner. I'm deleting you from my outline. The little girl. <laughs> Chad, you like curmudgeon characters. Do you like Carl Whitaker? He was... Walt, Walt Whitaker. Sorry, Walt Whitaker. Carl Reiner. Whitaker Walt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, as the Russians called him. Yeah, he was, he was fine. I think I wanted more from his performance. I wanted him to be more of a goofball or ham it up. Just take it up one extra notch he's riding a little girl's bike into town yeah. five five miles and he's a large I mean, man yeah yeah it's he gets just... tied to the town operator which yes. is awkward <laughs> and they could have made that even more awkward it's, mm-hmm. i yeah, i understand on that part too <laughs> i understand a lot of the i feel bad for uh oh geez what i'm missing her name tessa tessie tessie o'shea most of those jokes are just made at her size, either weight or chest, but uh, she was great. Definitely. And I also liked watching her field all the phone calls. She's like this interesting, disconnected person to the outside world and watching her field these phone calls about Russians back and forth. It's very funny. I, I also don't think of an operator. I think the notion of an operator in today's times is also funny. Can you imagine somebody being connected in in between your calls in this day and time. It's actually a funny thing when you think about it. We don't have any, we don't have that anymore. So having that middleman in your communications actually just, it's a good opportunity for comedy that you don't have today. Oh, switchboard operators, the key to Russell's soul. <laughs> I think it'd been a fun job if you could figure it out. Yeah. I mean, you don't have that many lines, so why not? So I'll put I'll put you through. Oops, sorry, wrong hole. Right. So you so you're okay with Annie at least. Just just Pete, you're hard on then. Well, no, you're okay, you're against this other kid in the bell tower too. So yeah, I most of the children we've established are just awful. The little girl's awesome. She can uh, she can stick around. I think Annie was was that her name? Yeah. 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 Cindy Putnam. Good job of not annoying me to death. I, I mean that's just. Especially in this era, we like using children as devices of they're smarter than their parents and they're more competent, whatever else. And then 
Either that or they make an insanely stupid decision. I love it when Walt tackles Alexa to get the gun away from him in a pretty wild bombastic move. They end up banging up against the bookshelf. They pull the curtains down and it's pandemonium. She's just sitting there eating her cereal. Kind of got a smile on her hands going like, my daddy's silly. Only good person in the film. <laughs> I, I'm not going to go that far. I, I'm going to... I'll defend uh, Findle. No, Chad. Chad, Chad, that little girl is the only hope for humanity in 1966. I, I, I love the... I love the veteran that's willing to draw his sword. Like, given the information he had, this is my argument for Gaston and Beauty and the Beast as well. Given the information that he had, he made every reasonable decision. Like, Gaston did nothing wrong. This this is spiraling. I just, uh, it's, it's amazing. We don't, if you're if you're told anti- a large beast-like creature is kidnapping people, and you're gonna lead a mob saying no brian Mould, he just said i'm not into mobs we gotta do i i I, it's true i'm not into mobs that's true brian brian's like that bookish girl will have to deal with it herself i'm not joining i don't care for your pitchforks i don't care for you i i I don't care i'm i i am pro bookish girls too so just 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 for the record i'm anti-mobs and pro bookish girls I, I've already said that, that if we're going to pick antagonists from Beauty and the Beast, it's the witch. Yep. That was an excellent. Check out that like, episode. That's a fun yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. Who curses the service staff? That's messed up. It's <laughs> a villain. That is a villain. Those people have to deal with that <laughs> all day. Mm-mm. And you cursed them for it. That unpleasant person. Oh, come on, man. You can say <laughs> on TV. Not before you a certain can't. hour. <laughs> you can't and you, Brian gives me at least one edit of an episode he appears on so this is the whole, the, just take the whole sentence out I don't think I'm going to because this is almost contractual with Brian at this point like he curses and I have to edit it's a uh, it's symbiotic yeah he's, lo- he's looking up the words you can't say on television which by the way that one <laughs> yeah that's on there. that is on there it's no on there. i'm trying to find the date there's a no it's it's it, that is an acceptable word on television now <laughs> after 10 o'clock on comedy central on cable tv non-network tv yes i'm sure that you can get away with it then but for other people's <laughs> for all the other people's times no i don't think you're gonna see you're not gonna see somebody on the news <laughs> mention that one so all right i bet i can find a tv clip of someone saying on the news this is going. I bet you. I bet you twenty dollars. I can find a. a, a what have TV I walked clip. into? I mean, network, I bet. I, I bet. I bet. I, I bet. I bet it's a weather person too. All right. So, hey, by the way, you said okay. So you said best person in this movie. What do you have against Ava Marie Saint? Uh, you the mom? Yeah, Mrs. Whitaker. Yeah. Uh, she's awesome. I mean, she's the. I will say this: she she gives a face while they're driving where he's basically like blaming her for some stuff. And she does this face that I get all the time from my wife. And I'm like, Oh dude, abort, abort, dude. No, jump. Nope. Stop talking. Stop. God, you're going to deal with this for like a month. She's the sensible one in the entire Island. She's thinks that this whole thing's a misunderstanding. They should be able to go home. Even though it's like, it doesn't work that way, honey. But I mean, she, she keeps a cooler head and, it's amazing that nobody, you know, maybe it's 1966. This is a housewife that nobody wants to listen to, but 
she keeps the household running. She, he, her husband's a mess. He's he, he's really nervous. I can't do my job, and he's just complaining about how da- she keeps everything running. She keeps everything going smooth. She keeps it together for everybody, and it's true for in the town too. So it's uh, I, I love this character, and I think it's really funny to watch Walt spaz out and have her be there for him. But also, there's moments where that's really tender too. So these are the little moments of warmth in here that I, I do really like. She's definitely playing that dutiful housewife 60s stereotype of oh dear (laughs) she's she's aware that it's not going well but you know she's she's keeping it together and keeping things on the track for the for the kids i mean there's one point where she's like you're gonna be able to fight this so go to work and do it (laughs) like she's keeping him in line Mm -hmm. so uh it's not it's not exactly dutiful i think she's 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 oh she she knows that he's an idiot she is saying oh dear like this is a bad idea, but you do you. Oh, the oh, honey, kind of feeling. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Then I'll, I'll I'll buy that. Now we have a bit of a love story in here, Chad. This is always shaky ground for you. Mm. What do you think about Alexei, Alice and Palmer? I wanted more. I kind of felt it. It felt rushed. Like she shows up and she's very attractive, and he's very attracted to her. And then they kind of abandon the kids and go take a walk on the beach. She's the babysitter, so she's bad at her job. But uh, they're watching the kid. Uh, all right. mm, not carefully. No one in this town is watching children. They fall out of bell towers. <laughs> now, look in in his in his defense, I wouldn't have been watching the little girl either. She's a very pretty lady. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is true, Andrea Drum. Andrea Drum, she does not do a whole lot else after this. She's in one episode of Star Trek. She doesn't Trek need to. And comes by with me in nineties in '67. That's it. She's out. Mic drop. Yep. Yeah. So. so I wanted more. I, I will. I will say, in all the other nonsense, I kind of wanted this grounding, bonding moment. And you could have made it funny in the background too, but they're just taking a walk on the beach, and it's like, I love you. And this this may come up more in my uh, change one thing. I think Alexei's character is just incredibly endearing. It's funny how bad he feels when he points the gun at Annie and he gets run out of the house. He doesn't want to hurt them so that they do get the gun from him. Yes, he could probably blow them all to tiny pieces as Alan Arkin threatens yes. multiple times. <laughs> but And a uh, prize-winning marksman. I like that too. It's like prize-winning marksman level... He will blow you all to tiny pieces, but he runs out of the house, chased by a little dog, even though he's a very big man, and he's this gentle giant, and sure enough, he's the one that saves the day at the end, too. And he he promises, Alison Palmer, I'll come back for you. Yes, but our country's rules will not allow him. It's like, have you now, or were you ever a member of the Communist Party? Check. <laughs> no entry. Go away. That's in the U.S., though. I mean, this is, like, yeah, Nova Scotia. No, this was uh, Massachusetts. Yes, it oh, is. Oh, really? It's New oh, England. Okay. Yeah. I always took it to be like northern Canada, like provincial Canada waters. It's a fictional island, so it's not Nantucket Island or Martha's Vineyard, but that's what they're going for. And worse yet, it's filmed in California. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I think they nailed. It does not feel like California. That's it true. does. It, it, it very much, like, like I said, I've, I've really felt like it was like a Nova Scotia-esque thing. Nope. And to Chad's point, it's it's Northern California, but 
It's uh, it's in Mendocino, which in the '60s is kind of an artist colony. It's just a small town, and it's about 100 miles north of San Francisco. So it's in Northern California, and they did some harbor scenes where they actually had to be on the water at Noyo Harbor in Fort Bragg, California. So that's about seven miles north of Mendocino. So it's remarkably well. I gotta say. Some of it's the wardrobe and how they get this like fishing town community and what they dress everybody in. But even with the buildings and things like that, I have to say I was surprised. I got like a like Jaws small town vibe yeah. off of this. And what's funny that you, I say that Nathaniel Benchley, the guy who wrote this novel, he is the son of Robert Benchley, a Russian humorist. Uh, but his son is Peter Benchley yep. and he writes Jaws. So... I think the small town at the beach in New England kind of vibe. It's, uh, I don't know, maybe his son bit into this, uh, maybe it runs in the family. We like this New England vibe or whatever. So it's interesting that I just got this Jaws town vibe off of this one. Obviously, Jaws has more people in it. They have a full out mayor. There's more government in Jaws than there is here. But something about the small town, Bush League, like we don't have this, this place is ill equipped to deal with this. And that's why it's so funny. They are well-armed. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, they're, they're actually better armed than Northern California. I think that's one of the things that really take you out of there. Mm-hmm. Now, Brian, you're an Alan Arkin fan, aren't you? I am indeed. How do you feel about his performance here? I actually have no qualms on the acting in this movie. I think it was a very well-acted. I, th- I do think it suffers from some of the era's overacting, but that's pretty much par for the course. Like, I'm not blaming people for basically how it was done for that time but uh yeah no huge alan arkin fan it's interesting he was apparently a russian speaker and raised in a russian jewish household so perfect fit for him many of the cast are super not russian and their accents are had to be worked on more and more so there was one of the other ones that was a fluent russian speaker but interesting that obviously this is at a time when being really russian or going and getting a bunch of actual russian people would have been a problem so cold war paranoia as we're a thing we haven't talked about this yet i mean what do you think the audience response was i mean it's a tension easing effort that's a very cool thing in a time when you're taught to fear these people and everything that comes from the country the message that you get through here is that hey we're people we all have kids we all care about kids hanging from bell towers except for brian and chad and <laughs> and most human decent people want to want to help children and 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 they understand that they're just moms and dads and workers that go to a town and it's really these governments that have these problems and we're not that different all around the world no matter where you go some of these problems are universal and so there's a really comforting nice component of this movie and it's nice to see that as tense as the moment is that they end up holding people to gunpoint shouting at them saying i'm gonna just open fire on a crowd and they put their guns down. And not only that, they create a convoy of boats to help get them out of town, seeing that they mean no harm and that they want to just go home. That moment of understanding is pretty awesome. It's actually interesting because a decade before this, uh, Alan Arkin's parents were actually accused of being communists. And his father was fired when he refused to a- uh, answer questions about it. And uh, he was only vindicated after his death. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I- I do wonder, I know the response was very positive on the Russian side, but I, I wonder about the American side. New York Times uh, loved it. Yeah, I mean. but it's interesting because 
you have to imagine that the Russian mission was to spy on the U.S. I know that this was played out as more, they just wanted to look at the U.S. and, and see it, and it was a complete accident. This is a sub that's meant to spy on us. You, you don't go into the Atlantic Ocean from Russia for no good reason. So I, I have to imagine some of them are like, these, these people, even, even though they're hapless and lovable, they were here to spy on us, and we just sent them back home. We'll lay off their largest city and listen to their rock and roll. Yeah, it it almost would have made more sense had it happened on the Pacific coast. Because then, okay, Russian sub is at least closer in proximity. They had to cross quite a bit, and then they're in an area where they should not be. Like, there's violation of treaties there. I don't know why I find the fishing towns of New England funnier than landing in California, but I do. I'm not sure why that geography works better for me, but I think the small fishing town really works for me for some reason. This tighter knit small community, like you said, everybody had guns and everybody. I don't know why I feel like that's funnier than if you land in San Diego. I tried to find out how uh, precise airdrop torpedoes were to distinguish a giant diesel submarine from a bunch of motor yachts. <laughs> and didn't I didn't get a good enough answer to actually note it, but since we're talking about it now, I was like, ah, oh, man, they should have blown it up anyway. It's fair. Like, I earnestly don't think that the U.S. Navy would have not blown up that sub. <laughs> I think they would. I think they would have backed off. They even said like they've got civilians down there. I don't think they're blowing it up. That's an international incident. Like yeah. you, tell, you tell everybody else, "Hey, take your little flotilla and go home. We've got a sub to blow up." I bet if you put a warning shot across the front of all of them, you'd see a bunch of peel offs real quick. I feel like this was the first wave to see. They just were notified, and they were just barely getting on the scene they didn't they didn't have the whole navy out there so they were getting out just the nick of time as things were heating up hey if we're in massachusetts you could get a half an air wing out there in five minutes drop a sonar buoy wait for the rest of them to go back home and then drop a airborne torpedo once they've submerged we've been blowing up balloons left and right this month so yeah how much worse is it is it i don't if... follow the news but didn't it take four days to blow a balloon down you can't blow no, they it up didn't want to yeah, they didn't want to do it over people. Yeah, you Imagine can't blow that. it up See? over farm. See, you don't want to blow a balloon up. So we go... <laughs> and blow around and then land on somebody. <laughs> feel, free to, feel free to edit this out, but my first reaction was, it was over northern Idaho. Those people aren't people. Oh, oh. But, I mean, the response from that has been pretty severe. Now, imagine a manned mission that winds up on U.S. soil. Like, it's a huge deal, so I... It's interesting that it was praised as much as it was in the U.S. Maybe people at this point are just kind of over no, the Cold War, no, even though we've got 20 more years of it. You're right in the middle of it. It's very tense at this point, in fact. Char Charlie-class nuclear submarines did exist at that point, so although they used a diesel in this... I think, I think something that we haven't really gotten into is the power of being able to come together and laugh about something. They found some universal truths that, yes... The Russians saw that the people over here weren't monsters, and they have delicious food. They they have pretty girls on the beach, and they have children. And these are these are you can't you can't argue with these things. People like pastries.
people people like beaches and stuff like that so i mean it's one of those things that was a uniting kind of movie to be able to say that they're people too and it was nice to be able to relax and laugh about it it's actually a pretty brave picture to go out there and make at this point Mary's father, or my father-in-law, said that he went to the theater and saw it. It didn't feel like they came out of there awestruck about it. Like, whoa, it wasn't like this profound moment. It was a, yeah, that's, and of course, and, and it's really funny. I just saw a really funny movie. Talking to somebody who saw it out there in the masses, it's being praised publicly, though. I mean, it was shown to the Kremlin. It was shown by senators. It was clearly did mean something at a higher level. So that's pretty cool. I was very curious how many people were blacklisted from this film. <laughs> Is the answer zero? I, I couldn't find an answer to it. I, I did a couple of cursory Google searches just out of curiosity, and I couldn't find any information on it, except for the tidbit about Alan Arkin's parents, which had nothing to do with this film. Did you want subtitles in here, actually? That was one thing I found myself maybe wondering how funny are the Russians? Like, you don't... Is it funnier not knowing what they're talking about and kind of like, a, we don't know what R2-D2 is saying and it's funny. But we also don't get a lot of translation either. It's not like we have C-3PO able to translate thousands of language right there next to them. I thought my version was broken. Like, I did too. I Yeah, I, I thought I did something wrong. I missed probably the first eight minutes playing with the closed caption button because they Agreed. kept telling me stupid things like sound of boat on beach or... It would, tell, <laughs> it would tell me the sound effects, but I couldn't get the people's voices translated. So, so no, that backfired for idiots like me, because I missed the first eight minutes of the movie playing with that. I, I got a ditto on that. I seriously kept thinking, I was like, did I have, is this a foreign language film? And I just, what? Right? I, I seriously, I, I, it messed with me too. And you know, that's. That's uh, dumb on me. So it's just, but I completely agree with Chad. I was like, it, did I do something wrong? <laughs> Interesting. Norton Jewison said that the subtitles were not necessary because the actions that they're making are clear. And no. to, to hand the audience these subtitles, not only would save money in the production, but it was just condescending to the crowd. And you don't, it's not, it's nothing you need, was what he said. I'll, I'll agree with 25% of that statement. Um, I, I got the idea that the captain was doing something stupid. Like I agree that 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 their their body language said that, but I still thought that I had done something wrong. <laughs> I have reached the point in my life at age thirty eight where it's in the realm of possibility that I've forgotten how to work basic computer functions. That that so, that right yeah. there, I feel like when I crossed the thirty five year old line, I got a lot of tech stuff revoked. Right. Like, I don't know what happened, but I understand now my parents better because I'm like, what happened and why can't I use this now? <laughs> I can't text for crap anymore. It's not like you just turn off the texting button in your brain. Like, or your texts are, are indecipherable sometimes. They, the autocorrect murders me. Like, it's out to get me. I need that autocorrection most of the time. Running a few behind in Zion. So Brian has moved to Israel, and I, yeah, I, I craziness. I saw that. I didn't even feel like correcting myself on that okay. one. I was just like, oh, whatever. Just they like get he's it. Converted to Judaism and moved <laughs> to Israel. That's fun. That's fun. I yeah. I the, I, so, what do you think about Norman Jewison creating this fast-paced movie here? What do you think about his direction here? I'm gonna push back on the words "fast-paced." You don't think it's fast-paced? <laughs> no. No, I, I do think he skipped some steps, but I, I don't know that it's fast-paced when it's a two-hour comedy. 
this is my rule and this is a constant pushback and I, I wish Dustin were here because he would be saying, preach it. I'm on your side. Dustin always goes too long. I got you. That's, yeah, that's, I got that's you. A, that's a Dustin uh, yeah. line. Yeah, this is the 90 minute club. Like everything you could have done could have been done better in 90 minutes. Where would you cut? Where would you cut? Because you even said you wanted more time with Alexei and, and all Allison. of the little boy talking. That's true. No, I love that stuff. <laughs> That's true. I hate your cuts. You're a terrible editor. The 30 minutes with the Whitakers, the eight minutes where I didn't understand a I word the, they the were saying. The 30 minutes with the Whitakers is so important to understanding this, although the next hour of hysteria would make, wouldn't be as funny if it was threatening. Cut the two in half and you've got your 30 minutes. Uh, that. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just turning into the skit at this point. Now that I know I have backup in chat, I feel more openly brazen to bash this than the movie. Breaking Way episode. I at least got through all of the Breaking Way episode where I put my face in my hands and I said, oh no, you guys just didn't get it. Like, it's just not, it didn't work for you. And that's really sad. And it's, it's 90 minutes. It's a 90 minute podcast. <laughs> two people who don't appreciate this pretty well-renowned movie that's irrefutably good. And I'm, I'm on the bus that didn't get it. It was now. thoroughly refuted. I, I, yeah, I category, I categorically refute the fact that any movie is irrefutably good. But I will give Norman Jewison. and I'm just pushing back on you on the fast pace, but I do think <laughs> this was a very brave film to make. We've talked about the time period. I think what he did was challenging. That's a cool thing to do to step out and take that kind of risk and, it was well received on both sides to to the award sports. Dude had credibility. I mean, he had already made Cincinnati Kid right before this, so he's coming off a very well regarded movie. And he goes on. He he's a better filmmaker than I realized. Did the original Tom's Crown Affair, Fiddler on the Roof, Jesus Christ Superstar, all good stuff there. Moonstruck later. I didn't know this was such a good director. Well, from this movie, I understand. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. He, uh, <laughs> Sorry. And, and he, Sorry. And he, and he, and he, and he Couldn't of the night. And, and heat of the night, too. Yeah. No, I, I don't really have anything, like, personally against this film. I, I do agree with Chad to a certain extent on the fast pace. I would, I would call it, it was two hours of franticness. Just because something is frantic, does, and it, like, I found this film a little exhausting. Really? Like, yeah. a, after, after you have a convoy of cars to Benny Hill music driving across an island three or four times. Like I just, I felt tired. Like it's, it's and, the Scooby-Doo door scene, but it is way it longer is. than you want. And, and I, because the humor doesn't hit with me and that's no fault of this film, by the way, I, I, I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not bagging on this because I just, you know, didn't find it funny. It, that's fine. I, my my comedy tastes are so selective. I can I can say it's my fault on that, but the frantic nature of this film leaves you a little exhausted, and th and that's really how I felt finishing it. Yeah. Another moment here that I think is a major success is the music. So they take this Yankee Doodle Dandy kind of music. That's you know you've got like this, literally. Yeah, you got this drum yeah. beat. You got this like fl the flutes are playing. You got you got this patriotic music. But it's colliding and merging together with these Russian folk songs. And I just think that that's a very creative thing to do. Pablo Ferro is the guy who created the main title sequence that's 
a bit all over the place. It, it's a little jumpy, to be honest with you. But the music playing is really creative, merging these two very different vernaculars and classical foundations of the music and clashing them together because that's what we have here in this movie. It's a meeting of two worlds, very different worlds. Yeah, you get uh, Polyoshko Pole and Song of the Volga Boatman. So those were cool. Yes. Now, one other thing that Jewison has done well, though, is if you look through other things that he's done, he does challenge the audience with controversial subjects and makes them accessible to the mainstream. And clearly, he did so here. It made back its money sevenfold domestically alone. And it's a cool cultural bridge to the other side. This is not a type of movie you see a lot right now. Do you see a movie that is saying a whole lot with humor and getting a lot of recognition and awards for it? Everything, everywhere, all at once comes to mind. It is a comedy that has a lot to say and is nominated for an Academy Award, but I will... I'll go with you that most comedies have fallen off this radar. Like what gets billed or shoehorned in as a comedy often isn't. It's a drama with like one or two funny scenes. So this, this is a different era, I think, where you can do these type of films and receive this type of recognition. Mm-hmm. I mean, Canadian Bacon comes to my mind as something that would have been influenced by this. Michael Moore, before you made one-sided documentaries made canadian bacon and i think it's it's in line with this or as i mentioned spielberg's 1941 it's it's funny to watch that governmental satire i think maybe have we entered a world where politics or your feelings about foreign affairs are so touchy where people can't laugh about it anymore and that's why movies aren't made about it anymore or is it just too challenging of material and that's just not where like you said chad maybe it's just that's not where comedy is anymore I think it's incredibly difficult to make a comedy these days, uh, especially one that lands for a a wide range of audiences. I'm not necessarily going to put that at the feet of politics. I think it's at the feet of, of our own inability to look at ourselves and digest satire. Hmm. That and everything's offensive now. So that's what I mean. Like we can't, we can't look at things objectively anymore and be like, it's funny because it's a little wrong and it's funny because it's true. Uh, we're unable to do that now. So we point at it and say, boo, burn it. Uh, Hmm. it's sad. It's, 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 that's like, I look back at some of the, the comedies that I've truly loved over time and almost all of them would get massacred if they aired today. I mean, just destroyed. And that's sad. That's a sad thing. I've wondered that. I've wondered that myself. And so it's not that you couldn't put this movie out today, but I just think it's pretty ambitious. I think it's a, I think it's a, not only the feels, it's got the laughs, but it's also got big ideas behind it. That's why this movie is kind of special to me. And so it does something that not many movies pull off and do well. That's a lot. That's a lot for one movie to take on. I think it doesn't. I, well. I, I think that if this was re released in theaters today, it would have a heck of a lot better chance of making it than, say, waiting. I love waiting, but. I do too. <laughs> just like, dear oh, I this, is, this is a uniting movie. I don't think this is an offensive movie that didn't. Like, it landed with people at the time. It wasn't Give like, somebody oh, they're, they're, five. They're, they're, they're cuddling up the commies. I, I, I would say that if you played this for an audience of a thousand people, at least five people would have been offended with not being able to understand the first eight minutes of it. I don't think this movie plays well today, 
because we're we're comparing apples to oranges as far as Cold War versus war in the Ukraine. Like Cold War, there it was proxy. War in the Ukraine, we've got real-time war and real-time struggles in a, a very small country standing up against Russia. So I don't think this, like I see the title and I kind of cringe like, Okay. When, did, when did the Russians go into Afghanistan, though? I mean, they were they were a world player prior to this Ukraine. See Rambo three. Yeah, that's eighties. Eighties. Okay, yeah. that's my point, though. Even 70s, at that point, 80s? yeah, they're they're a world power. They're scary. I mean, there were kids putting their heads on on like on their desks, like in case an atomic bomb went off, and people were building bomb shelters. It is, it, it does require one to put yourself back in that paranoia. It's almost like this disclaimer that we did not live through, but we're or at least old enough that you've heard the people who did it. And I have wondered, how's that going to play going forward? And it's just the Russian. What's the big deal? Or, you know, you're not going to flip out if the French come over. It's interesting. I think that's one of the things you're saying, Chad. It might be a little bit lost on me because there's no, we don't have a bad guy, quote unquote, like that. We have two. We have Russia actively in China. So we, we've got two very bad guys that we just know likely aren't going to pull push the button. It's just not like it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm blithely just going through life not being afraid of these things. But I just I don't feel like the threat. That, that that would have been felt during World War II or that, you know, from the Cold War era. I don't feel like that pressure is, that is on there as much. We were afraid of terrorism, but there was something disorganized and splintered about that at one point. So we lived through that, but that doesn't, because it wasn't disorganized and, you know, like we're marching through town with these, like we have tons of nuclear weapons and stuff like that. Somehow even that didn't seem as scary. So I, that's why I said it's a little bit hard to relate. Chad, hit me with some other talking points because mine are not landing. <laughs> I, I'm just kind of appreciating. Unlike the, the Russians, this this oh, what an absolute train wreck of an episode this has been. Like it starts off with Russell so excited, and you can hear his excitement levels coming down as Brian and I slowly whittle away at his soul, and. Before one, I am filling in for someone who did not come to this episode. Wait, this Coming is how we treat someone who did us a favor. <laughs> I, the, I'm going to be mean here. The wrong host, the wrong person did not show up. The balance is, the balance is not proper here. We can take Listen. We can take one curmudgeon, but not two. I, I, I can fully take any responsibility for somebody not liking a movie I selected, so I feel like if that's not reciprocal, then the, that understanding needs to be had. Uh, uh, but it's again, okay. I, I, I did I've, this to you in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I think. I, I, I've said this like three times. I don't really have a problem with this movie. It just doesn't hit for me. Right. That's The reason we have a dialogue on this is, is to say, hey, you know, if, if you like the type of movies that I like, which I feel is, is fairly diverse from what you guys like in terms of your, you know, what your go-to stuff is. That's the reason we like these conversations because we have very differing tastes in movies. I was holding my breath though. And my excitement got, I got more excited when Brian, you, you go, uh, when did you enjoy it? I was like, one of us. One of us. <laughs> Let's do some superlatives, you guys. All right. MVP, Brian. 
Uh, I, I was going Alan Arkin, but then I promptly, as promised, changed it to the little girl. Just for being a normal human being. Just, just for being, like, hey, thank you for being cute and not talking or saying stupid things and and just just a gem. Like, just a gem. Thank you for being a gem. Sandy crushed that cereal. Sandy yeah, Pumper man. She ate her, her breakfast, man. She ate her breakfast. Yeah, we all Little girl. Struggle. Little girl, go. All right, Chad, MVP. I am going to go with Alan Arkin. Uh, the Rosanov character, I think without a likable Russian lead, this movie is an impossible sell. You you cannot sell this if you don't like the Russians. I do completely agree with uh, Chad on this, by the way. it's I mean, Arkin is, is pivotal for this movie to be successful you might, as it You was. might have talked me into it. I wrote down Carl Reiner as Walt Whitaker. He's so much, he's a fun grump. But what you just said is probably true. You just won me over mid-superlative. So Nice. Yeah. All right. Best supporting actor, Brian. I, I shifted Alan Arkin here so I could talk about Alan Arkin. <laughs> okay. Nice. Chad, best supporting actor. I love Fendel Hawkins and Paul Ford does a great job. Uh, it, it's in our, his name. He's got Hawk in his name. So he's just the perfect amount of this bluster and the sword prop that's just icing on the cake. All right. And I'm not doing this to antagonize you, but I gave this to Sheldon Collins. Of course you did. With, with Pete Whitaker. He's hilarious. I mean, we, we are due antagonism. We, we've spent like the last hour antagonizing you. I do like the Paul Ford pick, though. That's a good choice, too. Your next several, your hidden gem is going to be the kid that fell from the bell tower. And I hate <laughs> hidden gem, Brian. Um, I went with Allison Drum on this because she's very pretty. Like I, like, I don't mean to sexualize this in any way, but I've got to tell you that if you want to pick a really fairly, I mean, I shouldn't even say fairly unimportant character in this who plays a very important part, like she's compelling, like her character is compelling, and it's not just from a beauty perspective, but she's she is every bit as entrancing as the Russian sailor who falls for her beliefs. I don't know how she doesn't get more work after this. Maybe she just doesn't want to be an actress after this, but she's yeah. great. I like that choice. Chad, head and jump. Went with Tessie O'Shea as Alice Foss. I I feel bad for her because her weight and her bust are the butt of jokes but she does comedy really well she's funny that's okay yeah. you use what you got for funny i mean it's that's all right all right i think my hidden gem is going to be the hard of hearing guy at the post office that didn't know <laughs> like he was sitting there eating breakfast and the, the woman behind him was tied up in a chair on the wall gagged and i somehow couldn't get enough of him not seeing her and i love that somebody else had to come in the house to see her gagged and tied up on the wall. And he looked around and be like, what are you doing up there? Muriel? Muriel? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like it when he comes into breakfast and she's not there and he goes, well, if that's the way you want it, that's the way it'll be. So, great choice. Recast. Brian, you only get one here, though. Who's it going to be? Uh, I recast the diesel sub for a Charlie-class nuclear submarine. I think it's more sinister. Well, they didn't actually <laughs> try to get a real sub. The U.S. wouldn't give them one. The Soviets wouldn't get them one. So they had they had to rent one from another movie department. So it had like four engines. And if you look closely, it's it's being taxed and the joints are moving around. They kind of shoot it at the dark. And it's not a high performance machine, to your point. So Brian wants a better submarine. 
I uh, well, I, I just think that that for the time, the real threat, you know, the thing that's that's the fear is nuclear war. So go with a nuke, not a not a okay U-boat, not effect effectively a U-boat. There was a Marlon Brando sub from uh, Moratori. Yeah, recast chat. I'm recasting Carl Reiner. I know you loved him, Russell. Ah! But I felt this was very sitcom-esque, so I'm putting in Dick York. He played Darren Stevens in Bewitched. I think this just seems more like a Darren Stevens part to me, and it just fits with the sitcom theme. I feel I like this get, is get too that. big for a sitcom. I feel like too yeah, much is going on for a sitcom. I, 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 I feel like there's maybe a little bit too like much bluster with how it's filmed now and a, a, a bewitched feel is more like charmingly befuddled. Yeah. yeah he so was, yeah, I, I, I see your point. I see your point. There's more Chevy chase here. You know, yeah. More Darren Stevens. Um, that's, that's solid recast. So I'm going to go with the sheriff who's not bad. Like he's oh, certainly he's serviceable great. part. Yeah. Brian, Brian Keith. And I'm going to put in Leslie Nielsen here. I like it. I like Leslie Nielsen. You can get behind that too. Yeah. I, I, I find I, I'm actually, I, I find myself wondering if both of those had actually been the cast, if I would have enjoyed this more. And that's, that's no knock on the two actors who, who portray these parts. I'm just kind of curious if maybe just the, the, the uh, machismo that those two actors bring to their comedy, if, if that wouldn't have evened this out a little bit for me. Maybe. Best shot, Brian. Uh, I actually really enjoyed the, the image of the small arms fire out to sea at the, at the boat. <laughs> um, it's actually, if, if you take apart the viol- or take out the violence of it, it's really a pretty shot. <laughs> yeah. Chad, best shot. There's this kind of simple shot of a fence and then a single slat is removed from the fence and you see all the Russians peering through that one now open hole. I kind of thought that was good framing and a neat shot. So, Yeah, my best shot's going to be when the rowing, when they come to shore and the rowing with the silhouettes of the sailors looking onto them. They are shooting at sunset actually to imply it's dawn because it's the West Coast and they shot a pink filter on it and all that stuff but it's a good shot i like the silhouette unfortunately when they look back at the crew waving to them it's way too dark like 1960s didn't put enough lights on them couldn't get the night shot right but it works really well when they go up to the beach i think it's also funny this very next clip of them coming up from the beach is like hours later in the complete daytime so there's a strange continuity of time but it made for a good shot at one point so this is ironically my best shot Best scene, Brian. Uh, I love the scene where he's writing the Russian sub commander a ticket. <laughs> like, just like it was one of those things that that kind of made me smirk and be like, "That's so crazy! It just might work." Name and address. Yeah. Chad, best scene. I almost want to change my vote to Brian's scene, but I like that they actually got voodoo jets to fly over the residents that had formed that little flotilla and the confusion from the pilots and the cheers of the residents. It was a cool contrast. My best scene 
is got to be when they climb up to rescue the kid, human pyramid style. I just it's one of those moments that it's not a funny scene; it's a touching scene. So I really mm-hmm. like this moment in the movie. Funniest scene for me probably is when the Russians first come up. Walt doesn't believe his kid that they're there, and then they end up coming in. The kid knows is like, ask him if they're Russians. We're Norwegians, and NATO <laughs> countries. It's like, that would be ridiculous, given the hostility of these two countries and how funny that would even be to be a possibility. It's very funny, don't you agree? Makes more geographic sense. Yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, that, that whole opening part was just great, but watching those, watching them come up, the surreal moments, very funny. But best wardrobe makeup moment, Brian. I think they did a, a, a good job the black hat nature of the Russians. That is typically what sailors wear both sides of the, of the ocean. But uh, I just thought that it's, it's interesting to me that the director felt the need to say that you don't need subtitles for the beginning, but you still have to have the quote unquote bad guys wear black. Mm -hmm. Like it's still force feeding in a, in a, in a way, but you know, it's, it is what it is. Chad, best word to ever make a moment. Findle's sword. Hmm. Great choice. I'm on that line of thinking. I'm going to go with Paul Ford's whole getup. I think it's funny. He's got like the veteran's cap. He's yeah. got like a blue button up shirt. His army jacket won't close up anymore because he's probably gained weight since he was actually young and actually wore the sword so prominent part of the wardrobe and he pulls it out so readily. It's just he's a funny looking character in this world and it's, it's he's great. Change one thing. Brian, you only get one thing, by the way. Uh, the little boy. What do you what what do you want to change about it? Do you uh, want it to be a hot dog? Com- disappear, no, complete removal. So, you, like you can you it, can have like the initial boy, statement. They open up fire on a crowd of people. Yeah, I'm all right with that. <laughs> this is... I've, I've I've made my peace. No, uh, <clears throat> I get give give the give some of the lines that are less annoying to the completely competent little girl. It turns oh, into you mean? Oh, you're talking about Pete. I thought you were talking about the kid hanging from the. Oh chair. no 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 the initial she could walk in very sweetly and be like, "Daddy, there are men out in the garage," and they'll be like, "Oh, sweetie, you're playing make believe," and then you wouldn't have this annoying little. Sh- I like Russell's version though, where the kid hanging from the bell tower is gone too, because then you get, <laughs> then you get like Boondock Saint style. There was a firefight. <laughs> All right, Chad, change one thing. I now want Willem Dafoe in this movie. Uh, I would have for liked... a few minutes. It was chaos. Yes, I would have liked <laughs> Alexei to develop an affinity for America. Like he gets hot dogs or pizza or something, and it probably messes with the point the director is trying to make with this movie. But I just want him to fall in love with everything about America instead of just Allison. Like she's enough to betray your country for, but. Hot dogs, Coney Island dog, or something like that. Sure. We're yeah, yeah. We're yeah. all about defectors, so I'm really surprised he didn't be like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna stay here with this absolutely right. gorgeous blonde woman." Right. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna say I would have liked the Russians to have changed clothes sooner. They have the idea later to get out of their black fatigues and get into something more townsy. I think that idea would have been funnier, and it would have enabled them to split up a little bit. And to have some of the Russians, the nine, to split up and to get them into some moments in town so that you see what they're seeing as they come here. To your point, Chad, 
being able to see some of the things through the sailor's eyes, like what if somebody's like, hey, help me lift that board up and carry it over and we're going to build this roof. And then they end up building a roof because they can't say no because they're going to be talking Russian. They get like carried off their mission. I'd like some more finessing through the hysteria. I would even like it to see. I think it would be funny to see Alan Arkin join the mob momentarily and in disguise that would be in these funny. moments and, yeah. and, and getting them into what's going on always throughout the periphery of it. I think this is a very, very funny movie. There's possibility for another layer of humor to be gained from injecting them into the town more. So it's a, it's an aggressive one thing, but I think it would just make this movie so much funnier. Best quote, Brian. I went with a rather long one from Alan Arkin at the very beginning that starts with very clever little boy, very clever to see that my friend and I are foreigners here. And it ends with neto countries. Like it yes, echoed, it, 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 it echoed Borat to me. Like I completely understand that's far later, but it just, it, that whole monologue was amusing. All right, Chad, best quote. How can you not go with emergency? Everybody to get from street. <laughs> they practice this. I love it when Walt is getting on the, the kid's bike, <laughs> the girl's bike. He's a large dude. It's pretty funny, physically funny. And he's going to ride into town. And and the kid's laughing at him. He's like, ha, 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 you're on a girl's bike. And he's like, he looks back at his wife and he goes, if you want to hit him, it's all right by me. <laughs> and then and then he looks back at the son. And he's like, you're headed for a fall, mister. And as soon as he takes off, he's weebly and wobbly on the bike. And the kid laughs at him. He goes, you're riding for a fall. <laughs> and instantly he goes, hit him. <laughs> Would have been better. Would have been better. I did like the moment. In it was when, okay to hit your kids back then. <laughs> when Paul Ford was rising to power of the mob. And he's like, we should put it to a vote. It's the Democratic way. And you hear somebody in the background go, it's the Republican way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I hesitate to do this, but it's time for a five-star scale, half-star intervals. Brian, what would you give? The Russians are coming. The, <laughs> the are defeat coming. in his voice. Uh, <laughs> I, I gave this two stars. Again, I, it's just not my, my thing. Uh, Thank goodness I, you don't I, use half stars. Otherwise, I think it might have been one and a half. I, uh, so this is a I, moment where this helps. It, it, the thing is, it's not even that I wouldn't recommend this to somebody else that I think that it might be more up their alley. It's just not one of my things. Ah. All right. Chad. I'm continually perplexed by what other people celebrate as funny. So yes, this, that. This, this movie is confusing to me. That being said, I went three stars. I think it'd be a fine movie to have on in the background to look up occasionally and be like, ah, that's a funny situation but we've covered this to me it felt like a two-hour episode of mash huh i thought you were headed for 2.5 bill so that's that's higher than i would have thought so it's fine it's just not yeah again it's fine yeah that's but that's the great that's a great word that that sounds like 2.5 when you say it's fine it's uh, i'm here with my coffee in the fire it's okay this is fine this is all right I'm going to be the high. This is going to be shocker. I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to give stunning. this a four. So yes. I know. Stunning. Right. All right. Let's pick a movie for next time. What do you say? Absolutely. I think it's award season. It is WrestleMania Wrestle- season, brother. It's, it's award season. It is WrestleMania season. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to ignore that. And I'm going no. to read three award winners 
<sighs> Random award winners, and I will have my day, and you will take it. So, Magnolia from 1999, an epic mosaic of interrelated characters in search of love, forgiveness, and the meaning of the San Fernando Valley. Option two, Mulholland Drive from 2001. After a car wreck and the winding Mulholland Drive renders a woman an amnesiac, she and a perky Hollywood hopeful searches for clues and across the Los Angeles twisting venture beyond dreams and reality. Option two, The Wrestler. Wait, what happened here? How did this kid in here? Faded <laughs> professional wrestler must retire but finds his quest for a new life outside of the ring in a dispiriting struggle? I mean, unlike John Cena, I can see the wrestler. I am going to see the wrestler in honor of WrestleMania season. I thought it was award season. I guess it can be both. All right. Thank you, both of you guys. And thank you all the Lord's Latest and Nights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us because we want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. So subscribe on YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at at movie underscore retro and emails at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. Any contributions are much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening and be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? Old King Richard gone to war, loves his wine and warring, but for those of us who stay at home, there's only beer and whoring.